It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome to another episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I'm Chloe Thomas and it is awesome to have you out there listening. In today's episode, and it's a bit of a long one, but trust me, it is worth listening right the way through to the very end. Um, you are going to hear about how to grow your business fast. Uh, we've got a fair bit about crowdfunding. We've got a lot on brand and sustainability, how to get traffic, building your team, some great insights there and a lot more. I thoroughly enjoyed my chat with today's guest, uh, which is why this episode is quite so long. So I really do believe you're going to like it too. Before we get into it though, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Klaviyo, the most recommended growth marketing platform on the market. Klaviyo helps more than 28,000 e-commerce brands globally to grow their businesses through high value customer relationships. From a shopper's first impression to each subsequent purchase, Clavio understands every interaction, empowering brands to create more personalised marketing moments. When you have a 360-degree view of the customer, the growth possibilities are endless. And the results speak for themselves. Clavio customers have made more than £2.8 billion in revenue through Clavio in the last year alone. Visit clavio.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Are you wasting time updating product quantities each time you sell something? What about sending new customer orders for fulfilment? Imagine taking all that time and putting it to better use. That's what Ecom Dash promises to help you do. This e-commerce software will be your 24-7 salesperson, updating 20-plus platforms like Amazon and eBay with accurate product details and sending customer orders to your fulfilment choice without you lifting a finger. Get time back to focus on growing your business. Try it free at ecom-.com forward slash masterplan and use promo code masterplan to get 50% off your first two months. That's E-C-O-M-D-A-S-H dot com forward slash masterplan. And now to introduce today's special guest. Colin McIntosh is the founder and CEO at Sheets and Giggles. Such an awesome business name, uh, which is the fastest growing bedding brand in the USA. It all started in 2018 with a crowdfunding launch. And in the first 12 months, they hit a whole $1 million in sales. Hello, Colin. Hey, Chloe. How are you doing? I'm good. And um, I'm I'm really fascinated to talk to you about your business because you've grown in an area which I think most people would think was quite dull um, <laughs> in the nicest possible way uh, and and taken it really far, far really fast. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how you got into e-commerce and, and started this journey? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be totally fair, the betting space, sheet space is very dull. So that's exactly why we uh, wanted to found a really weird company within the space. Uh, but so basically, uh, I got started with e-commerce almost exclusively for this company. Aside from some Amazon experience at my last company, I was part of the founding team and running BizDev for a wearable tech startup in Denver. Uh, and we grew the team to about 30 people. We were heavily physical retail. Uh, I worked on this company for about three years. We had partnerships with Target, Brookstone, HSN, QBC, uh, a bunch of other different folks. And I was the one running the retail partnerships and all the external partnerships. But I wasn't doing any of the e-commerce. And this was around 
2015, 2016, 2017, which, you know, truth be told, was a really, really bad time to launch a physical product at retail. The landscape of e-commerce was shifting beneath our feet. Um, we were getting advice and kind of uh, strategy from folks who had done a lot of physical retail before in the uh, you know uh, early 2000s and 2010s. And so 2016 was probably the worst time ever to launch a product at physical retail, but we did anyway. And uh, then ended up not working out at that company, unfortunately. It was really sad. We had raised millions of dollars and had hired a few dozen people. And we all got laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday in September yeah, September 2017. Uh, that was a pretty difficult day. Emotionally, for me, it was very draining. Um, you know, I was not the CEO of that company, but I was one of the... I wrote the original business plan back in 2013. So it was really difficult to kind of see it all come to a close. And so then three weeks later, I founded Sheets and Giggles to kind of take advantage of all the lessons I had learned at that company and do it very, very differently the second time around. So just a three-week gap between <laughs> the sky falling in and starting a, a new exuberant business. I mm -hmm. think, you know, if, if you if you gone, yeah, we just started something. Okay, fair enough. Recovery strategy, <laughs> etc. But you went you went from like the sky falling in to a business which is all about fun. That yes. must have been quite... I, I'm impressed. I don't think I could do that. Well, it was it was specifically all about fun because the last company I worked on was actually a, uh, a device that was trying to fight sexual assault and violence. And so it was a really... Yeah, yeah. Super, super mission-driven company. Uh, loved it. Like, love what we did. We sent out... You know, there was kind of like a modern life alert. Um, and it, we sent out, you know, uh, 60,000 alerts during the course of our business. Um, definitely saved some lives, really fantastic and worthwhile, uh, but overall, um, extremely heavy mission. And reading, reading those user stories every day definitely kind of took a toll on, on everybody at the team overall. And um, for me personally, as someone who's just kind of a naturally... I, I love being fun and upbeat and just funny as possible. I'm, I'm writing a, a tight five for an open mic night in Denver uh, when I get on a stand-up routine. Um, it was really hard for me because all the writing I ever did for the company had to be very gravely serious, necess you know, necessarily so. And so I really wanted to do something that was still with a mission behind it uh, from a sustainability perspective with uh, Sheets and Giggles. Um, you know, our sheets are sustainable. But uh, beyond that, I really wanted to do something totally flippant and fun uh, that was a very light-hearted company. Very cool. So, so it made complete sense, really, to go from one to something so entertaining. So we ought to just explain a bit about... You said there's a mission behind Sheets and Giggles. So do you right. want to explain about what, a bit about what that is? Sure. So basically, our bed sheets are made from a material called Lyocell, um, which is the third generation of what's called cellulosic rayon. Super boring. But that basically means fabric made from plant fiber. And so our sheets are made from mostly eucalyptus trees, um, which are uh, just like viscose is made from bamboo, lyocell is made from eucalyptus. And so we uh, use about 96% less water than cotton sheets, 30% less energy. Um, yeah, it's a huge difference actually. Per So a single cotton t-shirt can use about 2,500 liters of water to make, which I think blows people's minds when I tell them how much it takes. Um, a cotton bed sheet can use about 4,000 liters of water. And so our uh, sheets use uh, about 150. Uh, so it's totally different scale. And the amount of water saved per sheet set 
actually adds up to about five years worth of the average person's drinking water. And so we've saved hundreds of years, hundreds of thousands of years of drinking water already in a very short period of time. Plus, we use no insecticides, no pesticides. And a lot of people are very stunned to realize that cotton uses about 16 to 24% of the world's insecticides, just cotton as a crop by itself. Um, and so we're, it's, you know, bugs love cotton. Uh, and so we're, we're uh, very much a sustainable first company. Um, but the other thing about the sheets is that they're actually softer, they're more breathable than cotton. Uh, they have a lower surface friction. And they are, in my opinion, a far superior product. We have, you know, 2000 reviews now, 4.8 stars, people freaking love the product. And that's really awesome for me, because we sell mostly to Americans. And no knock on Americans, I'm one of them. Uh, but Americans are kind of selfish uh, consumers. And I, <laughs> I don't think that anyone you could make the most sustainable thing in the entire world. But if it's slightly worse than the unsustainable option, Americans will opt for the unsustainable option. And so for me, we always message, you know, our sheets are better, better, better than cotton. They're softer, they're more breathable, they're cooler, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I shouldn't yada, yada, yada over my company's core value prop. I feel like a Seinfeld episode. Uh, and, then, uh, and then, you know, we, we close with the sustainability. And I think that that's really important from a messaging perspective. So that's what we're doing. Uh, we've shipped now tens of thousands of units. And uh, we're, you know, I, we didn't start work on the company in earnest until about January 2018. So it's been just just about two years since we really sat down and actually began uh, putting our nose to the grindstone. What I like about about what you just said is that you know that you're you're not just saying we're sustainable because we chose to use eucalyptus. Right. You know all the ins and outs of it, and you know right the way back, and you're getting involved in the whole supply chain. Which I think if you're gonna claim to be sustainable, you have to do that whole thing. But mm -hmm. but the the main thing yeah. I wanted to pick up on there was you were saying about how actually the sustainable product is better than the incumbent, and I right. find it fascinating how often. When human ingenuity is is pushed to do something a bit differently, actually we create something better, because quite often that's the case with a sustainable product. Is actually it's better than what we've all been doing, mm -hmm. which it you know it's it's more sustainable to produce and it's actually a better finished finished product, which I think is it's kind of cool, really. It's, it's interesting because you know in, in software cotton would be called a legacy product, which is you know it's just. And I, I've worked in B two B software, and I've had to help people, you know, with uh, with with legacy software on like uh, Windows XP systems that should not be working at all in uh, in the late 2010s. Um, but you know, that type of uh, legacy product uh, usually goes the way of the dinosaur in most industries. We've been using cotton for you know uh, an, an extraordinary amount of time as human beings, and it's because it grows in the ground as a fiber as a you know kind of a sewable material right away uh and so it's really a really fantastic thing so i'm not knocking cotton in general uh it's it's been a really important crop in human history uh but it's you know now 2020 and and there are better and more sustainable ways of producing fabric so let's um let's let's get away from the sustainability for a little bit and let's just um tick out tick some of the boxes about the business as it is right now and then I think we'll we'll get deep into how you went about launching and growing so fast because I suspect that's what the listeners really want to hear about. So so you're in um Denver, Colorado and where where are you guys currently selling to? Uh we're only selling in the United States right now. Cool. And is that just to keep things um simple? 
initially or uh pretty much it's just it's really just a logistical piece so you know we we really want to be in canada and the uk we have a target for this year of may expansion to canada um we want to be in the uk by end of year australia by end of year um it, you know you want to launch in the right season and the and, you know mm-hmm. and, the, and that changes around the world and um the the other thing is just from a logistics perspective and from a messaging perspective um in, in a, a regulations perspective, we want to make sure that we expand these countries and do it right. Some startups, you know, don't take the time to make sure they have all the necessary, uh, you know, tax uh, registrations and different things like that, especially for a country like Canada, um, where, you know, each province has a different tax code. Um, and so we're, you know, and then, and then there's rules about uh, if we're going to be shipping to people in the UK, we want to make mm-hmm. sure that we have warehousing space in the UK uh, that we have a team set up there to distribute uh, and run customer service as well. So it's just kind of a, a bandwidth perspective, and uh, we want to make sure that we're really there's so much there's so many people in the United States that uh, have never heard of this product before that we're currently reaching, and so we're kind of holding on for dear life right now, and and then we'll be expanding into other countries as soon as we catch our breath. Nice. I like I like the way you think about it. And um and what what platform are you selling on? Are you a Shopify, Magento or something else? Yeah, Shopify. Mm-hmm. And then and we do also Amazon. So we're on Shopify and Shopify is probably about mm, 60 to 70% of our sales and Amazon's about 30 to 40% of our sales. Nice. And um given you're on Shopify, are there any key widgets or plugins you'd like to recommend? Ooh, um, I, you know, starting out, there's a couple things that you're going to need that are like core. For me, I love Judge.me as a reviews app. So shout out to the folks at Judge.me. Um, they, uh, they're like, God, like 20 bucks a month or something like that. I can't remember what the price is, but it's super low compared to like, a, you know, one of those extraordinarily robust platforms, um, you know, that cost thousands of dollars per month. So uh, I'm a big 80-20 guy. I love apps that give us 80% of what we need for 20% of the spend and the effort. Um, so Judge.me is fantastic. We still use that to this day. Uh, we use advanced shipping rules in order to define, define our shipping because Shopify's shipping rules are not very good by product. Advanced shipping rules, you're allowed, you can do it by product, like literally by SKU, which is really great because we can do pre-orders or back orders for very specific individual SKUs. Um, versus, uh, you know, that are out of stock versus having normal shipping for others. We can do advanced, advanced shipping, expedited shipping. It's great. Um, and then uh, what are some other ones I love? Oh, for landing pages, uh, I love um, HyperVisual. It's, it's what we use for our landing pages. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's any others that I really want to give a shout out to. Um, those, are, those are probably the three ones that I work in the most. Um, and one of the things I love about Judge.me is it allows us to actually reply to people and engage with people on the reviews. And that's, that's really important, I think, from a, just a brand level perspective. And people reading the reviews, they want to see responses to the negative reviews, to the positive reviews. That engagement, it just gives you so much confidence that if you buy from this company, you're not going to just... you know They're not just going to fall to the face of the earth if you have an issue. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's really important from a conversion perspective. Cool. And um, let's talk team because sure. you've you've achieved an awful lot in that first year and into the second year of, of being up and running. <laughs> so so I'm guessing it's not just you. So who have you got in the team and what are you outsourcing? Right now, we are a very, very small team. Uh, mm-hmm. We're uh, six full-timers. 
And then we, I, my favorite metric is revenue per head. That's my, my top, top metric. Um, and then uh, we have uh, several different contractors in different spots that are extremely important for leverage. So um, we have, you know, director of product, director of operations, director of marketing, uh, you know, content marketing, uh, customer service is all in-house. Um, and then from a uh, contract uh, perspective, we have a part-time CFO. Uh, we have our legal team, obviously. We have our accounting and bookkeeping. Um, we have our Amazon consultancy, who I, I really love and would recommend. Um, and we have, you can give them a name check if you want. To. Yeah, sure. They're called they're called AJ Duran. Um, good good folks, Angela and Aaron. There, um, they really help us out with our Amazon sales, and, and I love working with them. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've got our Amazon team. For a while, we had a digital marketing agency that we were working with that we have since outgrown, and now we've in-housed all of our marketing. Um, and then we also have our 3PL uh, and our warehouse team. We've got warehouses in South Florida and in California. And uh, then, of course, our uh, product team and our manufacturing team um, in India that we work very closely with. Um, and so, you know, all in, people working on S&G, probably up to about um, 30 or 40 people in aggregate. Uh, but in terms of uh, full-time folks that are on payroll receiving healthcare and and that are uh, in the uh, the Denver office every single day, um, it's only six, and and I really like that um, because I think it keeps us really lean and hungry, and and everybody has more work than they can handle. But truth be told, we're about to hire three to four more full-timers in the next three months. Oh, so it's it's going to increase quite quickly then. Yeah, we're we're stretched pretty thin. I you know I'm I'm of the opinion from a hire. I used to be a recruiter, so. From a, from a hiring perspective, my thought has always been you do the job yourself until you break uh, as CEO. And so for me, when I was starting the company, I was working probably 16 to 18 hours a day doing pretty much every function under the sun and then leveraging some contractors to help with a few different pieces. Um, and that was really difficult. But by the time that I hired our first full-time employee... Literally one year ago, we, it was just me until January twenty eighth, twenty nineteen. Um, so yeah, uh, so, <laughs> so that was um, that was really difficult uh, for me to pull that off. Um, I didn't pay myself until February twenty nineteen, so I went fifteen months without a paycheck. Um, and in America, that also means fifteen months on Cobra, which is like the worst healthcare system known to man. <laughs> Uh, don't get sick. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, just basically, don't get hit by a car. Um, <laughs> and and so uh, you know that was that was really fun to hire my first full timers, and then we hired uh, two, three, uh, our fourth and fifth were in July of last year, and then our sixth was just last month. And so we're you know we're very 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 lean. Um, and but you know truth be told, but by the time I hire somebody, what I love about my hiring principle of do the job myself is that I know kind of exactly what I'm looking for. I know mm. the brand voice that we're going after. I know what works on digital. I know uh, the hiccups that we've had in supply chain and, and production. Um, I know the major co customer service complaints inside and out. I used to pick up the phone at 3 in the morning when somebody would call. We had, you had a phone number. It would go directly to my cell. Um, and I would put my phone on ring. So in the middle of the night, if somebody called at midnight or at 1 a.m., I would pick up the phone. And those type of brand interactions have an extraordinary value. And, and so it's a little maniacal, but that's how we got it off the ground. 
And it does make it a lot easier to hire the right person, right time. If you know, if you've kind of, if you've already started the job, so you're going, right, we know this works. Right, right. Can you manage it? You're not just going, here's a big white sheet of paper. Um, but also if you, if you, if you know what questions to ask them to know if they're actually going to be able to do what you want them to do is, is so important too. That's, that's exactly right. You're, I mean, I could not hire um, folks for jobs that I couldn't do or that I haven't done because I just don't know. I mean, there's going to be a certain point in the company history where I have to do that. I mean, I've already done that with like, you know, um, accountants and, and bookkeepers and that sort of thing. But I have a financial model that's 20 tabs in Google Sheets that I update every single night with our core metrics um, that helps me understand the finances of the business inside and out. And that is super crucial from also from a financing perspective when you're raising money, which we've now raised over $2 million in capital for the business to accelerate our growth. Um, when you're talking to investors and you're able to rattle off your daily conversion rates, cost of acquisition, um, you know, your daily add to cart rates, your daily return rates. Like these are things that investors love to see because it gives them such confidence that you know your business better than they ever could. And you mentioned um, one stat earlier, which I want to come back to because I think you're the first person to ever mention it on this podcast, which is quite impressive. Not many things get mentioned for the first time <laughs> anymore, um, which was revenue per head. So right. I just want to explain what that means and why it's so important to you. Well, so for example, so Casper is, is in our space, right? And they just filed their S1 to go public. And uh, Casper's revenue per head, from what I can see on their, their public number of employees on LinkedIn, which is never the full picture, I don't think a lot... Of, they have like 60 stores and I don't think they, they have all the employees in the stores listed on LinkedIn. Um, but their revenue per head, from what I can see, is about $400,000 per head. Um, ours is higher than that. So that's a really good... When I go talk to investors, I can say, Hey, look, Casper is IPOing. Um, here are their numbers. Here's here's where we beat them in their numbers, and having these type of this type of story to tell. Um, and then Purple, which is another mattress company that I think exited for about one point one billion dollars. Their revenue per head this last year, I think, was about six hundred thousand dollars, at least from what I can see. And you know, so that that type of understanding of like where you are in the marketplace, how you compare to other people. Um, and it's just basically, you know, you take your total revenue and divide it by the amount of full timers that you have at the company. Um, and that's kind of where we get that metric. And so that to me is, is really crucial. And when you're specifically when you're thinking about productivity and, uh, what each person brings to the table. And if I hire someone new, let's say I hire two or three new people, um, I'm going to have the expectation that revenue is going to increase commensurately depending on what their job function is. Um, otherwise, it's not worth the fixed cost to bring, to bring somebody else on. Um, so it also helps me from a hiring perspective understand where performance should be for each new employee we bring on. Nicely explained. Okay. I want to, uh, we've talked about the growth in the people, but we've not really talked about how you grew the company. So Colin, um, how did you did you go about growing so fast? Was it like your aim on day one or was it kind of a shock when you, when you hit that million dollars in the first year? Total shock, total shock. I mean, and the, well, by the time we hit the, by the time we hit the million in the first 12 months, that was, um, I, you know, that, that was something that I knew we were going to do. So that, that wasn't necessarily a shock. The shock was in May, 2018, when we did our Indiegogo, which is a crowdfunding platform that's competitive to Kickstarter. Um, we did a $284,000, 30 day campaign. 
um, which is, <laughs> um, I think, the biggest Indiegogo ever for the, the category, um, which is, yeah... Oh, I mean, internally, I would I wanted to do a hundred thousand. Um, externally, the goal was fifty thousand. Um, while the streams were a quarter million, because that's what we needed to go to market without any outside funding. Um, and so, like, basically, the way it works, and I can kind of break this down for folks is, um, you know, when you're building a physical product, you, if, especially if it's your own brand and you're working with a contract manufacturer that's literally dedicating machinery and equipment and people to building your products for you specifically, you need to give them a large minimum order because especially when it comes to commodity spaces like bed sheets, like plastics, like furniture, whatever it is, you have to do a really large monetary uh, purchase order. And that first PO could be anywhere from a quarter million dollars to a million dollars to more depending on what you're building. And so for, for me, uh, and what you can do is in order to, and this is just advice for anybody in the audience who's looking at these numbers and being like, how the hell am I ever going to come up with you know, a quarter million dollars worth of financing to build my own product? You don't need to come up with it all at one time. You can meet your manufacturer in person, chat with them uh, to discuss terms. And as part of those terms, you should negotiate um, multiple pieces of payment. So a deposit that you put down for them to begin work could be 20%, it could be 10%, depends on how good your negotiation skills are. Um, and then uh, once they begin working on your product, you stagger the shipments in different shipments. So let's say you're getting ballpark 10,000 units made for your first PO. Um, you can have the first 3,000 come in at one month, then the next 3,000 come in two months later, and the next 4,000 come in two months after that. And so you're, at that point, you're taking a risk because you're committing to the entire purchase order and they're not going to work with you if you end up um, you know, not paying them, obviously. Uh, but you basically can pay for goods as they're received or as they're shipped versus um, paying for the PO all at once or upfront. And that helps you with the money. So what we needed for our first production run for our first several thousand units was over $100,000. And so that was really important to me as like a benchmark for us to hit to even get off the ground. Um, but externally, the goal was set at $50,000. And there's a lot of psychology around setting crowdfunding goals and why you would set a kind of a false goal. I wouldn't call it false, but like, I would, but like a, you know, public facing goal versus what your internal, your internal true goals are. That crowdfunder obviously set you off quite nicely. Mm -hmm. How did you then capitalize on that to then grow the business? Obviously, sometimes you get people who just like to crowdfund stuff who then yeah. don't turn into proper customers. So, so how did you, you know, kind of ride that wave to the success that you've built? Well, as as appreciative as I am for our crowdfunders, uh, they have were not. I mean, they're they amazing people. They still contact us to see how we're doing, and I, I love those personal interactions. Um, but the the thing about crowdfunding folks is exactly right what you said, which is a lot of them like bringing new products to life and then they go away and they don't rebuy or you don't hear from them again in the future. And secondarily, they're getting the best price that you're ever going to get for a product. And that's the trade-off of a crowdfunding campaign is we are selling our bed sheets for uh, 70 bucks per, per sheet set, no matter what the size is. Now a king set goes for 157 um, and our and our conversion is still extremely strong. And it's not like we're trying to price gouge anybody, but there but the amount of uh, marketing dollars that goes into getting a new customer when you're working on Facebook, Instagram, Google, and Amazon is fundamentally different 
than the amount of money going into getting a crowdfunding customer. Um, where if you can get that big boost and get on the home page, you have organic discoverability, um, which doesn't cost you anything. And Indiegogo sends out newsletters about you, which doesn't cost you anything. Um, and so that type of, uh, I think, um, customer is really great to start off and to get word of mouth and reviews and good brand equity and goodwill. Uh, but then from there, you really have to pivot into a more traditional direct-to-consumer marketing uh, company. And so we did pre-orders starting in on July 1st. I flipped over our website to Functional on Shopify to take orders. We weren't shipping until we said, I believe, September on the pre-orders when we were taking them in July. So we had like 8-week type expected delivery timeframes. Actually, 12-week, I think, is what we said. So like still 3 months out until end of September... And uh, we were giving people 20 or 25% off as a trade-off for that. Uh, and people were buying. People were buying, um, you know, July and August. We got, I think, something like a combined $100,000 worth of orders. Uh, and these were just, you know, just free cash flow because you're taking the pre-orders, you're taking the dollars, and you're not shipping anything until October. Um, and people are aware of that and they understand that trade-off. And they're, they're willing to, to compromise for that percentage off. Um, and it's just a really fantastic uh, way business model. I think is selling things before you receive them. Obviously, there's a there's a liability associated with that, and you have to make sure that you have people's money in escrow in order to pay them back if you can't deliver. Um, but it was really really great to see, and that was kind of when I first really really knew, aside from the crowdfunding success, that we were onto something with the brand because I think that the brand is the primary conversion driver. Um, and so, you know, we got to see our first holiday in 2018. What we did when we had inventory in November and December, uh, we then in 2019 scaled up every single month until we were doing, I think September 2019 was 11 times September 2018 in terms of sales. Um, and we, you know, we, our run rate is much, much higher than I thought it was going to be by the end of 2019, which is really awesome to see. Um, but I don't think people, buy things from people that they dislike. And so I think that the brand and the upbeat brand voice has really been a major, major conversion driver. And I can talk about kind of brand building or anything else in the kind of going off on tangent here with the pre-order stuff. In that world of building the brand, how are you, how did you go about getting that brand message in front of people? Because once they get to your site, it's like, yeah, this is a funky brand. I want their sheets. I want that <laughs> lifestyle. But how did you, what, what were the key ways you drove the traffic to get the sales in those, in those first few months? In the first few months, it was like entirely Facebook and uh, Facebook and then branded Google AdWords. So, you know, word of mouth, people saying, Hey, there's this company called Sheets and Giggles. Um, specifically, we named it Sheets and Giggles because we knew that was a really powerful brand name. Um, mm-hmm. I actually I, I've got to write like a like a blog post or something, but I have four rules to a very powerful brand name, um, and and I can go into those in a second. But basically, we were driving all the traffic from Facebook for prospecting for new new folks, and what we said was, you know, it was like August 2018 ended up being our most successful ad that we ever launched, and it was like you know sign up or get our launch discount while you still can. Uh, you know, our sheets are softer and more sustainable than cotton. Um, and I think we actually said our stuff is softer and more sustainable than cotton. And people were like, what stuff? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and then the image that we used, you know, the brand, the brand name is a good click through driver, but the imagery is really what it's all about on Facebook because you have to get people to stop scrolling. Like people on, on Instagram and on Facebook, they're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Then you have to make them say, wait, what did I just see? 
And so our most successful ad to date was actually three men in a bed uh, with beards uh, and avocado face masks on uh, drinking red wine. And uh, that image killed, like absolutely kills. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I can't put my finger on why uh, women and some men love it so much. Um, but uh, it's, it's a really, really powerful visual. And you're just like, I don't know if I saw what I just saw. Let me scroll back up. And then you get people who comment. And this is the number one lesson I would tell anybody who's starting a brand. It was just me in the beginning. You get a comment on an ad respond to the mm-hmm. comment. The thing that blows my freaking mind is that when people starting a company or even established companies, like I'm talking like Brooklinen, like who have like a hundred million dollars trailing 12 months revenue or, you know, uh, like any other DTC brand, like Equip or like whoever, um, Allbirds, you see their ads and they have like dozens or hundreds of questions that are just completely unanswered. And I'm like, just pay, yeah, it's crazy. Pay somebody to, like these are people who are asking questions on an ad. Like, <laughs> yeah. like respond to, like like yes, it's not very scalable in in one sense. Like it's difficult to respond to everybody. The bigger you get, but like I would I would be on the road. This is probably not. I shouldn't say this. Very dangerous driving. But like you know, if I got a comment, uh, I would you know make sure the next time I was at a stop sign or I was at a red light that I would on my Facebook manager app be responding to these comments within like 20, 30 minutes. And because when somebody's stopping and they're asking that question on an ad, they are like so ripe to convert. And then you and then you have to get back to them before they lose interest. But and rarely they are they are rarely complicated questions either. It's not like they're asking for the meaning of life. It's like how much is PMP? Right. <laughs> it's not do, difficult. Do we have white. Yes, we do. Here's the link. Like, you know, yeah. like it's not, and you know, we just made short links for everything. So I can type in cheatsgiggles.com slash S and that's going to take them to our queen white. Right. And so like making sure that we have short links for like all the core products that are really easy to link people to. And, you know, I, I own sheets.vip, which redirects, um, a bunch, I don't know, a bunch of, bunch of domains, a bunch of URLs. Um, but the, but that is, um, you know, I think for me, one of the things that I learned is like that engagement. And then when, and then the next person that sees that ad, they see that it has thousands of comments on it. And even if you have 3000 comments on an ad, guess what happens when you respond to a comment? There are probably only 1500 comments from actual people and there's 1500 replies from you, but it still shows up for the social proof when people are scrolling through as 3000 comments and those numbers, those anchoring uh, numbers are so, so, so crucial to getting people to buy in and believe that you have a brand that they should be sitting up and paying attention to. Yeah. And and Colin, you said you were going to give us your four, I think it was tips for coming up with a great brand name. So, so let's have those if we can, please. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And so uh, basically the number one thing is that a brand name must be, shareable, spellable, and memorable. That's the number one rule for a brand name. Um, so, you know, whenever I see a startup with like a, a Y instead of an I or like a, like a double O instead of a U or whatever, I'm like, oh God, like that's, you know, the, no one's ever going to be able to like find you in a sense that they keep, like I, I, I once, I don't want to tell this story because it's going to call somebody out. But I, like, imagine if your brand name was like Sync. And you spelled it like C Y 
and C. Like no one would ever find you. <laughs> so, spellable, shareable, memorable. Uh, rule number two is that it has to either denote or intuitively connote what you do. So that's the other mistake I see super, super often. Um, you know, I, I was talking to a buddy. I'll, I'll give him a shout out. His company's called, um, I think, Greenhouse Foods is what he's building. And, and I really, I like this guy. He's building a cool company. It's a, it's a vegan, healthy donut. Really interesting. But I told him, I was like, Greenhouse Foods, I feel like intuitively I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like a farm or I'm thinking mm-hmm. about like a, a sustainable food manufacturer um, that's like a larger than like a, this brand that you're building or that's not, you know, it doesn't really connote like healthy snack food, I guess. Um, and so uh, the Casper, for example, connotes what they do. They're the friendly ghost. He comes out at night. He helps you sleep. Purple, same thing. Purple is a, a traditional sleep color. So that connotes that they're a sleep company. Whereas Sheets and Giggles denotes what we do. We sell sheets. It's in the brand name. Um, and so that's rule number two, must intuitively um, or very clearly describe what you do. Uh, rule number three is that you have to have really good SEO, so search engine optimization around your brand name. So if somebody searches for Sheets and Giggles, they're going to find us. We're the only result for that. Um, if somebody searches for, um, you know, let's say a competitor of ours, uh, Brooklinen, uh, or Bull, uh, Bull, no, Bull and Branch is perfect. So, so Bull and Branch is, is a violation of rule number one, spellable, and it's a violation of, of the SEO. Because what people would do is when they first, now, now they're big enough to where it doesn't matter, but when people first heard their name, they would type in B O W L for like the bowl, and they would type in like sheets. And like they're getting like crate and barrel ads and stuff and like all sorts of things. <laughs> and so, you know, B O L L, which is how they actually spell their name, not a very, not a very memorable or spellable or common word. So um, number three is that you have to have good SEO. So if somebody searches for you, they find you and not a C of other products or companies or um, news articles. Um, and then rule number four, if you're selling to American consumers, uh, you're going to want to have a .com. Americans don't buy from .nets. They don't buy from .us. They don't buy from .biz. They only buy from .com. And they're just trained to do that. There's no difference between the top-level domains. But if you want to sell to Americans, have a .com. E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. How are the leading D2C brands growing their business? They're using Klaviyo, the growth marketing platform chosen by over 28,000 global innovative online brands. Klaviyo believes in supporting growth, which is why they won't tie you into lengthy contracts, hidden setup or support fees, or feature-based pricing. With a platform that is both powerful and easy to use, it's no surprise so many brands have switched to Klaviyo. Looking for one more compelling reason? Brands switching to Klaviyo see an average of 62 times ROI on their investment. Ready to learn more? Visit klaviyo.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Are you interested in selling products on more platforms like Amazon, Google Shopping and eBay? Then you should check out Ecom Dash, multi-channel inventory and order management software. They help online sellers like you sell products in more places with less hassle. With more than 20 integrations, Ecom Dash will automatically update inventory levels, shipping info and more 
everywhere you sell. Retailers call them their 24-7 salesperson. See what the fuss is all about. Try it free at ecom-.com forward slash masterplan and use promo code masterplan to get 50% off your first two months. That's E-C-O-M-D-A-S-H dot com forward slash masterplan. It's time for the top tips round. I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our business to the next level. So Colin, are you ready for the top tips? Yes. Okay, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Mm, Depends on the goal. Um, If it's to make your business better, I'd probably say Do More Faster, uh, which is a book title. And it's by uh, David Cohen. Um, who's the founder of Techstars. Uh, I've actually been through Techstars twice. It's an accelerator, um, really well-known uh, internationally. And uh, Do More Faster is a really great way about just like um, how, to, how to do more faster. Cool. Okay. The traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Mm, that is an interesting question and a very difficult to answer one because then that gives away my secrets. Um, I really love content that's valuable for the sake of the content. Like we're we're a we're a betting company, like we're a bed sheets company. So like people don't really give a damn. Uh, I hope that's okay to say. Uh, give a darn about uh, a what a betting company has to say about their everyday life, and I I recognize that and I understand that. Um, I don't care what my what my toothbrush company has to say about my everyday life, my my light bulb company, my couch company. I don't really care. Um, but if they can produce content that is valuable in and of itself to me in a context outside of the business that's still on brand, I'm going to want to engage that company. I'm going to want to share that content. And then content that's valuable for itself is, I think, the best tool to get organic traffic that's very cheap um, and that gets brand impressions and brand awareness for very little money. Um, so for example, I wrote a post on Reddit uh, about two years ago now, February 2018, when I was just getting the business started, that was all about resume building. And it was literally just like, why is a betting company writing about resumes? Like, oh, well, you know, do you want us to write about thread count? Cool. Go Google 87 million other articles about thread count. Um, and so I wrote, I used to be a recruiter. So I wrote a post about how to build a proper resume. If you search for resume advice, Reddit, which a lot of people do, you'll find it. It's now been viewed over 2 million times. It's the top post of all time on the job subreddit. And um, I got... Thou- I get e- <laughs> Today, I get emails every single day about that resume post. And people will tell me, they're like, Hey, man, I just want to let you know, your, your resume post helped me find a new job. And to celebrate, I bought a new set of bed sheets. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, we just got a review. Just got a review yesterday by a guy named Owen that I have to respond to. And it says, uh, thanks for the resume, Colin. Love you. Cheers. Good luck with sheets and giggles. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's like a, a review on our sheets. And like people reading this are going to be like, what is he talking about? Like people who don't know about the resume thing. So like that, that to me is like my favorite hack. My favorite tip is just like, you know, don't write things that are always like centric around your business. Write about things that you as a, a CEO or person know a lot about and people will find it valuable and share it. It doesn't have to be about your product. 
Cool. Okay. The tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? I mean, uh, obviously Slack. Um, we, everybody uses Slack. Um, and then uh, I'm a big like texter phone call person. Um, my team, not everybody is like that. So I try to make sure I don't do that too much. But for me, if you want to get a hold of me, you got to text because my email, I have 2,500 unread email. It's totally broken. Um, and then we also use a, a streak for Google to bucket uh, emails um, across the team. And we actually, for our customer service, we get so many people writing in every day now. And we're, you know, we're selling um, just a, a large volume of units at this point uh, to where we probably should be hiring more customer service per people but really a small team of, of one to three people are able to manage almost all of the incoming customer service. And we do that entirely via Gmail, phone, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram DMs. Um, I, I like to be available for people wherever they want to talk to us. Um, and the only way we can do that is with a tool like Streak where um, my customer service team is able to bucket the emails in Gmail into uh, different categories and make sure they don't double do. Uh, but we don't use Zendesk. We don't use um, any anything like that. That's like a customer service tool. I think that that stuff's overpriced and and usually unnecessary. Okay, the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? Spend money on advertising. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like the honesty. Yeah, it's so a, true. It's a bad tip, but I mean, you know, it's honest to God, like, like you know, we get our our sales are like fifty fifty paid organic right now, um, and you know, when we shut off advertising, our sales go down, and and like, and it's just that it's it. I I think that there's different ways to like find inefficiencies in the system. Um, so like, you know, your advertising, your cost of acquisition which is the cost it takes you to acquire a customer is literally just a function of the cost per uh, thousand impressions. So your CPM uh, multiplied by your, um, your uh, click through rate um, multiplied by your, not multiplied, but like divided by, and like, it's an equation of like your CPM, your click through rate, your uh, and your conversion rate. And that's it. Those are the only three things in the world that matter. So if you can figure out how to, lower your CPM, increase your click-through rate, and increase your conversion rate, you will lower your cost of acquisition. And you're going to get to a point where you're able to scale your spend in a meaningful way profitably. And so you know whether that means more, um, more engaging visuals to get people to click through more often, or better copy on the landing page and better, better mobile optimized layout um, in order to convert better, uh, you know, if you take your conversion from 2% to 3%, you literally just increased your conversion by 50% and decreased your cost of acquisition um, by correspondingly by 50%. Um, and if you can take your click-through from 1% to 1.5, same exact principle. Um, so I think that, that really honing in on the, on the major cost drivers for advertising and then spending advertising is the way to do it. Awesome. Thank you, Colin. It's been so fascinating chatting with you. And I know our, our listeners will have got an awful lot from your chat. So um, just before we say goodbye, could you just let them know where they can get hold of you and Sheets and Giggles online, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, so pretty easy to find. If you search for Colin uh, Sheets and Giggles, you'll you'll find us. Uh, the, the website for the brand is sheetsgiggles.com. It's just like our brand name. 
but no and in the URL. So sheetsgiggles.com. Uh, same goes for our social handles. We are at sheetsgiggles everywhere. Uh, no and in the social handles. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. I can't promise that I will accept every notification or that I'll respond to every email because I'm, I'm kind of bogged down. Um, but you know, I, I have calls from time to time with people who reach out. I had a call with an e-commerce founder yesterday, some guy who just randomly reached out trying to raise money, giving him some advice. So I like doing stuff like that when I have the time. I just don't always have the time. Um, and I will give a tip to people. If you connect with a stranger on LinkedIn, for the love of God, add a personalized note. <laughs> don't, don't just click the connect button on mobile because it just goes into my invitations. And I'm like, is this isn't Facebook. I don't know you. Like, like say, like, just say a sentence, like a sentence about why you want to connect. Like, you know, it's, it blows my mind how many connection requests I get that are just blank connection requests from strangers. Mm. Uh I echo you on that one. Um, Colin, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. You've been so generous sharing your experience and I know the listeners will have really appreciated it. So thank you. No, thanks, Chloe. I appreciate you letting me talk about Sheets and Giggles. This was this was really awesome. And, um, you know, I, I love um, conversations like this. So thank you. Oh, what a fascinating guy. Um Thoroughly enjoyed chatting to Colin there and finding out about how he's gone about about growing the business. Some great marketing tips in there, plus a lot about kind of general business strategy. I think a bit like uh, last week's episode where we were talking to JJ Resnick about stories and the Moscow Copper Company. Interesting to see how Colin was really pointing out how important the brand was to get things off the ground, to make those conversions and continues to be to this day. That brand and the identity of the company and the story behind it is the one which was really making the difference. You can get your hands on the notes from today's show, including all the links, the top tips, and details of a couple of related episodes at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. Um, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please do um, drop us some feedback via the review system in whatever you're listening on. So if that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify um, or any of the others, then please do let me know what you think. Um, I love reading those reviews. I hope you have a great week. Keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce masterplan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.